iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm back. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Yeah, joining us today are The Times' very own James Gearbrand and Henry Winter. Coming up, we will discuss the huge controversy Premier League legend Michael Owen has caused this week. But first, let's talk England. Two European qualifiers to contend with. First, Bulgaria at Wembley on Saturday, followed by Kosovo on Tuesday night. Uh, Henry, is this going to be a standard two wins out of two? I think so. Although the way Southgate's been talking and preaching humility, had a slight dig at the under-21s over it. I think the, uh, the focus will be on talking up the opposition, talking of their respect for them. Um, Kosovo have had a sort of decent run so uh, there'll be a lot of respect but absolutely you do expect two wins because there's a momentum with England now there's a, there's a pace and a strength and depth and a belief even if they don't necessarily always shout it from the rooftops that, uh, that they're going places on the Southgate and they want this season to end at Wembley as well as begin at Wembley with obviously the Euro 2020 semi-finals and final. We are just four games into this new Premier League season um, to talk about some of the, the call-ups to this squad. Tyrone Mings James, does he deserve his call-up? I think he does, yeah. I think, um, you know, he's obviously been in, he's been in strong form, not just this season, but I think he was a really, he was a really crucial part of their promotion campaign last season. And and obviously I think, you know, you very much, Southgate has very much got his sort of front-line centre-backs who are sort of, you know, John Stones, Harry Maguire and, and Joe Gomez. But I think maybe beneath those three in the sort of pecking order... You know, there may be opportunities for, for others to sort of nab, I guess, what would be the kind of, you know, what ultimately we're looking at as maybe the sort of fourth squad place. I mean, obviously, you always have injuries, don't you? And you never know what will happen. But but Mings would certainly be one of those. You know, Rob Holding, when he returns, could also sort of push himself into that conversation. Michael Keane. But maybe. I don't, I think, I think you're right. I think Mings could definitely overtake both of those kind of, both of those players. And I think he could, could have a role to play, yeah, definitely, if... Stones isn't available, which is often the case, and Gomez has had some injury problems. I don't see, I don't think it's beyond the realms that he could could uh, play an important role for for England. He's a good age, twenty six, mm-hmm. um, and he's in good form. Henry, do you agree? Do you think Mings could be part of this England team going forward? I think if you you listen to what Southgate says, he he looks and he picks players as obviously how they can contribute on the field, but also off the field as well. And there's Gregor did that that great piece, background piece, and, and spoke to so many of the people who'd sort of shaped and know and knew um, Tyro Mings on this sort of this journey that he's had, which hasn't been the classic sort of academy to riches journey. But there, you know, he sort of worked in a mortgage broker. You know, he went to Millfield School. He's had all that. He's, he's got quite a hinterland to him, which has added to the humility. He, he came out and spoke yesterday at St George's Park, and it was it was. It was fascinating, and anyone who came out of that room was sort of uplifted by his journey, by his honesty, his humility, his desire to do something. And this fits in very much with Southgate's, um, I, can't, I can't swear even on a podcast, but the sort of, you know, the, the all blacks, no idiots 
uh, <laughs> policy in the squad. And they're one or two players who I see in the headlines. You just know they're not going to get into the England squad because they don't fit in with what Southgate's want. Good citizens, as, as the FA call it, good tourists when they go off to tournaments. So I think he fits in with that. I mean, I agree, agree with the guys. And I think he's, he's footballing contributions for Aston Villa last season and, and this season, already this season. I mean, talking to one or two people around the club, they were so delighted they could get hold of him. And they actually laughed, or they smiled privately, about some of the criticism of how much money they're paid for him. They said, you don't understand how important he is for the dressing room, for the camaraderie, as well as his on-field contributions. So, yeah, I think it's also a great sort of life story, a great football story of someone who just kept working, never gave up. And, and now he's realising his dreams with that caveat that he knows he's still got to keep going. That, that policy of relentlessness that's, uh, that Southgate keeps talking about. I know Henry just mentioned that you've written a piece uh, about Tyrone Mings, Gregor, but can you just expand a little bit more on, on what his incredible rise has been in, in football? Yeah, he, um, he, he started at Southampton as a kid, I think joined him at eight, eight years old, and he was released at 15 in part because he was deemed too small, which for a six foot five, <laughs> seven and a half now, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was funny when he, he, was answered that, he was asked that question yesterday in the press conference. I agree, Henry, he, he spoke really eloquently and you know measured responses to, to all the questions, nothing too sensational about about his rise, but you know he was trying to keep a lid on it a little bit. But it is a great story. He he went into non-league football um, with Yate Town and Chippenham Town. Uh, he was a mortgage advisor. He earned fifteen thousand pounds a year. Got forty-five pounds a week from 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 football. Dro- drove around in a little green saxo with white wheels, <laughs> um, and and I think it was a, he's one of his teammates. He displaced uh, a player called Toby Osman in the Chippenham team and his dad had played for Ipswich um, so he displaced him as left back and I think he's a legend at Ipswich yeah, to be fair yeah so he so his dad kind of I think he said to his dad dad maybe you should like have a word with Ipswich about this guy try and get me back in the team and uh, <laughs> and he did and he played I think an hour of a of a of a trial game for Ipswich and, and uh, Mick McCarthy offered him a contract on the spot and he paid £10,000 for him Um so it's a, it's a great journey, and even after that, he he's he played left back for for most of his time there. Um, and at Bournemouth, he's had real hardship, and he played. I think he made ten Premier League starts in three and a half years there, because he had he injured his knee after I think six minutes in his debut, had a real bad back injury as well. So he's had a lot of challenges, a lot of hurdles to overcome. Um, and as Henry sort of alluded to there, it sort of seems to have given him a bit of a wider perspective on things. Is both of that that route and and overcome overcoming these sort of challenges um he goes goes back to visit his school very often i spoke to one of his school teachers who says he goes back and um speaks to mentors pupils who maybe have had slightly dif- like difficult uh, time at school um and he's just I, I think he's got an academy in the in the area and and they go into schools so he's he's quite heavily involved in charity work so yeah he seems like a a good guy, and I think anyone who who uh, has seen the story could not help but be pleased for him. So Tyra Mings looking to make his debut, as is James Madison. Um, there's been calls for a long time for England to have a midfielder of Madison's quality. James, do you think he's going to have a, an important role? Yes, uh, I think Madison is a player that is a player I really like. He obviously, I think, he's playing at the sort of level. Um, you know where he should be 
you know, really in conversation for the for the start for the starting eleven and, and not just the, the squad. I think we all we've you know, we've all heard that stat that Madison has created over a hundred goal scoring chances in the Premier League since the start of last season and, and I think I'm right in saying no one else has created over a hundred. So he's he's out there on his own and I think he's someone who who certainly could work. I mean we've sort of we're looking now at that sort of four three three template for England, aren't we? And that's 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 a position that Madison can play. He can obviously play as the sort of number ten, but he can also play that sort of number eight role in 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 a midfield three. Um, and I do quite like, from personally, I do quite like the the idea of having a sort of he's a very pure creator, Madison. And obviously, England, you know, we have, we've got sort of you know the likes of Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard, who obviously do have that string to their to their bow, but they're sort of they're they're slightly diff they're sort of I suppose in some ways they're more kind of they're more rounded sort of do it all kind of type players but I really like the sort of the real creative emphasis in in Madison's game um uh so for me uh, yes I'm I'd, I'd be really intrigued to see to see him in the team and to see how that midfield balance would would work uh, perhaps some other surprising inclusions uh, are Mason Mount and also Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who obviously hasn't played for for quite a while through injury, but just now getting back into the, to the Liverpool team. Uh, Henry, Mason Mount and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, do they deserve to be in this squad already? Definitely. Not particularly surprised. Um, Mount, you know, as we've seen saw last season with Derby, seeing this season with Chelsea, um, saw glimpses of it with the under 21s. You know, he has been watched and not hyped, but noted within the game, increasingly outside the game um, in in the press box on the terraces. Mount has been just an accelerating comet. So I don't think it's any surprise to see him there. Southgate sort of talked him up before. They really like his um, sort of humility. He's pretty grounded. Slight contrast to James Madison, who's got more of a sort of swagger about him. I just think whatever the stage, Mount seems to step up and, and enjoy it. We've seen that with, with, with Chelsea this season. Um, I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I just think that, you know, what, what a talent there is there. And it's interesting. I mean, I've just been doing a bit of research on him. And next, March the 2nd will be the 10th anniversary of his debut. And we still think of him as young, but he's one of the oldest. I think him and Henderson are the oldest in the squad. Um, also, you know, played, you know, have been in the squad longest. He's played 32 times for England. Remember the goal in, in Maracanã the year before the World Cup. I, I hope he gets given a chance in central midfield because that's the key for England at the moment. England got so much pace and talent out wide. You look at Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson, Adoy when he gets back fit. Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, with obviously sort of Kane in, in the centre. So much talent at, at right back, Trent Alexander Arnold, you know, and, you know, with, with Kieran Trippier coming back, and even with Aaron Wambasaka, you know, Carl Walker's still there playing well for, for Manchester City and can come back in. Centre half, as you were alluding to earlier, you know, there, there, there are options with, with Tara and Mings coming in. Even at, even at left back, Number two, while playing so well, England have, have got some strength there. It's central midfield. It's that ability, as Modric showed uh, Croatia semi-final during the World Cup, that ability to break down defences, that passing, that movement. England really, I mean, people talk about 10, but I think England are more number eight. Jordan Henderson possibly can do it. Harry Winks will, will play deeper. Declan Rice will play deeper. I just think Oxlade-Chamberlain gives you that ability to, to tackle, to win the ball, to drive forward, to win free kicks, to play those passes. 
Kay's been used out wide by Klopp, but also he's been used as a, as a number eight. And I can see him playing there. I've got about seven players in midfield, if you, if you count them up. My maths is, is rubbish. <laughs> but, but, I do, but I do think Oxlade-Chamberlain, look, I'm biased. I mean, I've, I've known him for years. He's just he's one of the best interviews. He's just such a lovely guy. Went to see him yesterday with a few of the other journalists. And he just, his smile lights up the room. He's been through a difficult time with that terrible knee injury against Roma. Missed out on the Champions League final. Missed out on the World Cup. Um, so I, I think we'll definitely see him in the next two games. Definitely. Interesting. You mentioned there about Kieran Trippier and also the fact that Carl Walker isn't in this side um, or in this squad as a former fullback, Gregor. Do you feel it's un- that Carl Walker's unlucky to not be in this squad? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously been some reports that... Um... Gareth yeah, Southgate has, has told him that I'm basically looking at, at uh, Wan-Bissaka, although he's pulled out, and Trent Alexander-Arnold is obviously uh, emerging as a real com- uh, competitor for that, that right-back spot. The one thing it sort of reminded me of here, and that was kind of the number of times in my own career I would be uh, pulled by a manager and said, oh, we're just giving you a little rest, and uh, <laughs> and then when the next game comes around, that rest turns into a bit, a bit of an elongated rest. So, you know, it doesn't actually matter why he's not in the in the squad. It gives somebody like Trent Alexander-Arnold a chance, and the chances are he'll take it because he's in great form and he's, you know, he's, there's no one that's as creative from fullback as, as him. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's unlucky. Uh, but I think Trent Alexander-Arnold probably is the future uh, for England in that position. As for the forward options for Gareth Southgate, he's opted for Harry Kane, Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling, Callum Wilson and Marcus Rashford. There's always a lot of talk about the over-reliance on Harry Kane. Of the others then that he has in the squad, James, who can Southgate rely on if, say, Kane was to get injured any time soon? Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And, and I think you know there are sort of his pedigree and his goal scoring is is absolutely un, unquestionable. But I sort of, I kind of still have slight question marks about Kane the player and and sort of how you know how he kind of contributes to a sort of well rounded team. He sort of looks a little, little heavier, maybe a little less mobile this season. So of course he remains England's kind of he remains Southgate's first choice, and and that's that's fair enough. Um, I guess behind him. Rashford is probably the second choice centre forward at the moment. Obviously, he's someone who can cover the wide positions as well, and and obviously Callum Wilson is is the man who's in the squad at the moment. And I think his his form over the past sort of season has been has been excellent for Bournemouth. He's someone who can create as well as score, which I think is is always handy. And then you may be looking at players who who aren't in the squad but could come this season. I think Tammy Abraham would definitely be would be one of those who's obviously made a really strong start to the season and looks to have that real sort of, you know, natural kind of finishing instinct. Um, so I think he certainly could be one who might enter the conversation as the season progresses. Well, Henry, let me ask you about Tammy Abraham, because as James has said, he's got off to a good start playing for Chelsea in the, in the Premier League this season. There are reports that Nigeria's FA are interested in tempting him away from England as well. Why do you think Gareth Southgate hasn't opted for him? Whenever we talk to Tammy, he's absolutely adamant that uh, it's England through and through. I know there's a connection between his father and the, the president of the Nigerian FA, but 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 Tammy is absolutely adamant, and I'm sure Chelsea will, for for many reasons, um, travel reasons, for homegrown player reasons, will want him to be uh, you know confirmed as an England international. Um, 
I, I, look, there, there will always be talk about it. That the talk seems to be coming more out of Nigeria than out of St George's. Sorry, than, than out of England um, or Cobham. Um, look, I'm sure he will get involved. I think Southgate's talked about that about how he wants him in the squad, and I think he showed. Um, well, I think he showed more for club than in the under-21s. I mean, he, Eddie Boothroyd didn't give him much of a, of a chance to play during the, uh, the, the Euros in the summer, despite England's travails. But I just think he's shown, you know, whether it was a Bristol City, whether it was last season with Aston Villa, um, or this season with Chelsea, that, that, that he, can, he can score goals and he can play through the middle. He can play with another striker. But also what he offers, and I, you know, he's got that mobility which Southgate wants. And I, I take James's point about... Uh, Harry Kane, maybe not looking at his sharpest, but ha- Harry tends to start seasons slowly. He he is England's most important centre forward by an absolute mile. Because I think the others can play out wide fantastically. But I, you know, with respect to Callum Wilson, I don't think there's anyone in Harry Kane's league. I think England's best attack, certainly in the last 12 years, um, was in Seville. You have Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling out wide, cutting in with Harry Kane as a number nine and as a number 10, dropping off and feeding the two of them in. I thought, you know, he had, they ripped apart Sergio Ramos in a very good Spanish defence and side. So I, I can see Tammy Abraham sort of coming in and maybe understudying that sort of central position. Um, but it's good that England have got sort of options out there. But, you know, don't write off Harry Kane because he is absolutely key to uh, the way England tick as a team, emotionally, as well as tactically. No one wants to write off Harry Kane, I should point out, <laughs> Henry. Um, but interestingly, that that you mentioned, we mentioned Tammy Abraham not being in this squad. Also, there have been calls for Ashley Barnes to perhaps uh, make a, an appearance for England. He, no other Englishman other than Raheem Sterling has scored more goals yep. this season. He's 29, so still got time, perhaps. Do you no. think he's up there? It's funny, though, that the, the two things that, that Gareth Southgate pointed to when he was asked this question were his age, he's 29, and the team he plays for, who is Burnley, and they, and they have a certain style of play. And I mean, you look at I me, mean, Callum Wilson's 27, uh, and Bournemouth, yeah, they play, they like to play when they can, attractive football. So I, I see his point, but. I don't know, I think it was slightly dismissive maybe. I don't think 29 really is, is too old to be getting your first mm. call up. People have look at Ricky Lambert or someone like that. Um, and I think I, I think someone, you could be someone who maybe in a tournament, you know, they, they, they once had Peter Crouch to throw on for the last 15 minutes or whatever. I think he could be someone to do that. But you just get the impression that Gareth Southgate is not going to go anywhere near someone like Ashley Barnes. He's got a vision for the way he wants this this team to look and, and they want it to be young and fresh and vibrant and dynamic and he just doesn't fit that bill, so he's perhaps a little unfortunate. Just on that, do you think there are some managers who actually just work better with, with younger players? Uh, and Southgate is absolutely perfect for that. We saw it with the under-21s, we're seeing it with this team. And actually when he goes into club football, when he's got to deal with maybe bigger egos, older players, he's actually not so good. So actually this mantra that Southgate is, is, goes on about, which, which you rightly alluded to, the sort of the younger, fresher one, actually suits Southgate's personality as well as England. Yeah, I think there's definitely something in that. Yeah, I just feel that, I mean, uh, someone like 
Barnes could feel slightly hard done by when he looks back in his career, and he's done quite well in the last few seasons. And um, but this is this is the way that football is moving. It's a direction. I think we'll, we'll speak about this in the Premier League soon too. There's a focus on young players that are a bit more malleable, and and uh, and that's kind of the direction of travel. I think in, in the national team as well. well. Henry, you certainly seemed adamant when we were talking about Ashley Barnes that he wouldn't get a look in. Well, for all the sort of very eloquent reasons that um, that Gregor just mentioned, sort of mainly age, I think the one who might step up, who is, well, they would love to have back in, and we've seen it so far this season, particularly running onto an England fullback's pass, um, is, is, is Jamie Vardy. I, I, you know, you talk about someone you could throw on late on, I would just love it if Jamie Vardy was, was still in that squad. Just to, you know, for those last 15 minutes, for his personality, for his defiance, for that pace, for that eye for goal, minimum touches, maximum impact. You're seeing it with Leicester City this season. Leicester could easily, Leicester would easily finish in the top six, and Jamie Vardy will be key to that. Maybe because he'll stay fresh because he's not going away during international weeks. But I think it would be, I think he's England's big miss at the moment. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Let's focus on the England under-21s who had a very unsuccessful European Championships in the summer. Les Reed, the FA Technical Director, has delivered a damning assessment of their performance, accusing them of arrogance and overconfidence. Of course, AD Boothroyd's side were knocked out in the group stage after failing to win a game when they were among the pre-tournament favourites in Italy. Uh, Reed said essentially that the players were guilty of getting carried away with themselves after being overindulged in the wake of their under-20 World Cup success in 2017. Henry, do you think arrogance is an issue for some of England's youngsters? No, I think it's the ability of the coach, Shady Boothroy, that's more of an issue. Um, you know, I've done a piece on it today. I was out there at, at the tournaments, as was Les Reed and, and Gareth Southgate. And Southgate, in fairness to Reed, sort of echoed those comments. Two Les Reed was talking yesterday. It, it wasn't a rant. It was his version of what he felt Dean Henderson had said after the Romania game. Three of us talked to Dean Henderson. He was in bits because he'd made a mistake, which allowed Romania to make it 3-2. Then they added another one late on. And he, you know, we'd asked him to sort of come out of the dressing room and have a chat with sort of three of us. And the FA said, look, it's a good idea because, you know, present your case. And he spoke, look, he was in absolute bits. Um, you know, he's an honest professional, as everyone at Sheffield United knows, and everyone at his parent club, Manchester United, knows. And you just want him, you know, he, he came out and he talked, you know, about England's flaws. He said, listen, we've let the country down. He was an absolute figure of complete contrition. And then he said towards the end, he said, well, you know what, we've got some good players here, which makes it even more frustrating. You know, we, we are better than Romania. We are better than France. And a couple of us said to him, I said, do you really believe that? And he said, yeah, we are. Just look at our record against Romania in the past. You know, we didn't do it today. But we, I think he was trying to make the point. He was standing up for his teammates. He was standing up for, 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 for the team. And I, and I felt for him. And I thought Les Reed was unfair on him. I thought Gareth Southgate was unfair on him. I mean, I'm happy to send them the, the, the transcript of the, uh, of, of the tape. Because actually he spoke 
And I feel it's a slight slur on Dean Henderson. This, and this is a player who's going to go on probably play for Manchester United in the future. If you talk to people in the game who know about goalkeepers, he'll probably go on and play for for England at some point in the future. Even though there are loads of you know decent English goalkeepers around at the moment, so I just think it's a little bit unfair of of, of Les Reed. And I think they should have thought about it a bit more. And maybe they're trying to cover up the fact that Eddie Boothroyd was given a new contract on the eve of the tournament. And actually. If you are Phil Foden, and I'm putting thoughts in the air here, and you are being coached by Pep Guardiola day in, day out, you report for England duty. You're then left on the bench against Romania, the game that England have to win. Um, and you're thinking, well, look, I'm, I'm guessing here, but is A.D. Boothroyd in Pep Guardiola's league? No. Is the quality of coaching that Phil Foden is going to get with the under-21s anywhere near comparable to Manchester City? No. Does he deserve to start for England? Yes. So I think the fingers from Les Reed and Gareth Southgate, and I hope they're doing this in private, should be pointed at Les Reed, not so much at the players. And Ernie, do you think? Sorry, do you think that 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 could cause their play, the players' levels of performance to drop? As you say, he's working with Pep Guardiola most weeks. Other players are working with some top Premier League coaches, and then they go and they have Eddie Boothroyd, who left Northampton as his most previous job, I believe. But I do think when they turn up with England, they want to play. So I think the fact that A.D. Boothroyd is coach, you know, obviously is, there's no comparison with Pep Guardiola. But I think they look at the shirt. They think they look at the pathway to the seniors. I, I found this generation, you know, after writing for years about, oh, they're too much too young generation, entourage, nightclubs, whatever. This is a really focused, sober, in every sense of the word, generation. So I just thought it was a little bit harsh. But, I wasn't in the England camp. Southgate and Leslie were. They might have seen one or two things around the camp in Rimini and thought, actually, maybe their behaviour needs a little dig. I just thought it was unfair to pick on Dean Henderson, who's, who's, who's an honest pro, who was, was in bits about his mistake. Um, well, but Phil Foden should have started in that game. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Tamari Gray was walking off the pitch after the warm-up and he put his arm around Phil Foden, who wasn't starting. And there's, there's a lot of love for Phil Foden in there and there was a lot of disbelief that, that he wasn't starting. So, look, I think there is that attachment to the shirt. I don't think that that is an issue. I, but I think you're right. Maybe they look at uh, A.D. Boothroyd and think, well, is this the level of quality of coaching that we should be getting? But I, I don't think you can question their desire to represent England. I, I, I completely agree with Henry, and I just want to make, I want to make three points. One, the kind of the, the charge of complacency against the players from Les Reed. What could be more complacent than offering the manager, than extending the manager's contract before the tournament has even happened? That's complacency. That wasn't he inherited that situation. No, no, I know, I know, yeah, but it's not. But there. equally, it's not the players either, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like that, that to me is complacent. And I also, I also think it's very easy after you've underperformed in a tournament to. It's always the easiest thing to say the players were complacent. That in itself, to me, is arguably the most complacent explanation you can give because the sort of unspoken subtext of that is, well, if the players had simply had their heads screwed on and if we'd sort of, you know, if we, you know, if, if, we, if, we, if we'd been in the right mindset, then we would have, you know, then we would have been successful. It's much easier to say that than to sort of look at maybe some of the kind of institutional reasons why you haven't done well. And I think Henry's right about, you know, Boothroyd maybe not being the right manager for this group of young players. But I do also really deplore 
the tendency to sort of casually malign young players like this. I really dislike it. And, and I think if you look at Les Reed's comments, there was that sort of something about, you know, oh, you know, it was a difficult time because they'd become household names and there was sort of that rather sort of nasty and malign mention of sort of new contracts and negotiations. Again, sort of not explicitly saying, but sort of implying that, you know, these players had had their heads turned at the sort of merest foretaste of fame and money. And I really, really deplore that tendency to malign young players in that way. Ultimately, I, I, I agree I found myself thinking of a time when I was actually playing for the Scotland under-21s and there was players who had played for, who were playing for Celtic in the Champions League who had played for the Scotland first team, the national team and then they were brought back to the 21s and they did things that perhaps... I think their levels dropped just a little bit, and I was I was saying this off air. There was one moment, in fact, David Marshall, the goalkeeper who is now at Wigan, I think he was at Hull and Cardiff down here, played for Celtic. Um, he was he'd played for the first team, he'd played for Celtic at the New Camp, all those kind of things, and we played against Italy, and he got involved in a brawl. I don't think he would have done that in the in the in if that, if he was playing for the Scotland team. So look the. That's a bit of a tangent, but what I'm saying is, I think there is some. There's a natural human trait, and this has happened before in, for 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 England teams in the past. They've often had trouble getting people to turn up for the European Championships in in the summer. Uh, there is something about that, but I don't think there's many players who didn't want to be there for England. Uh, there's some who 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 maybe would have liked to be in the, in the first team, but they've they're not, and they've, they have ultimately progressed since. But uh, I, I think there is something in that your levels can possibly drop a little bit and uh, although Les Reed has not gone about this well um, who knows who knows what what the atmosphere was like in that in that England dressing room you mentioned a brawl let's move on to two (laughs) uh, former England strikers now Michael Owen and Alan Shearer the pair have been involved in a war of words on Twitter following the serialization of Owen's autobiography reboot in which Owen opens up about how he regretted joining the Magpies from Real Madrid in 2005. Uh, Owen made 79 appearances, scoring 30 goals for Newcastle, but his time there ended on a sour note when they were relegated at the end of the 2008-09 season with Shearer as the interim boss. Now, Shearer's accused Owen of a lack of effort and of letting Newcastle's fans down, to which Owen responded by claiming that Shearer tried to force through a move to Liverpool when he was omitted from the Newcastle team under Sir Bobby Robson. Owen has also gone on in this uh, autobiography to slam Fabio Capello's management at Real Madrid and also has insisted he'll never forgive David Beckham for his red card against Argentina in 1998. But focusing on this row then between Owen and Shearer, it's an ugly spat that's being aired in public, Henry. It doesn't really do anyone any favours, does it? Do you know what the real sadness is? Is that it's... It's it's almost like a sort of Shakespearean souring of a great friendship, you know. The the, the, the two. Of, I mean, when Michael Owen broke through with England at eighteen, Shearer, you know, I think they shared the same agent. There was a it was almost like an older brother towards Michael and the way that you know he helped him and deal with this sudden ascendancy into into the spotlight, obviously, in, at, at Saint Etienne with that great goal. Um, it's it's really sad. I mean. I know the two of them have been sending messages to them and just hoping that some... Um, that, look, this, this is not new. They have been, they've been a loggerheads for a while. I mean, Michael was saying he didn't realise that 
Alan had an issue with him, but it was it's fairly clear. Um, and it's it's just really sad, you know, with with two people. I know sort of everyone's wading in on it and saying, oh, isn't it great? Fine, let's get them in a ring and you know let's have them sort of hit each other and and, and settle the argument that way. But I don't, you know, they're innocents in all this. But these are two grown men who who can sort of handle the, uh, the you know the headlines. But you know they've got their, their families involved, you know, and it it doesn't help them. Their, their friends involved, you know, their their employers. Their, you know, it's it's just not a great look. Um, the press conference tomorrow, Southgate will be asked about Shearer and about Owen. Um, so it will just rumble on. Look, it's great for book sales. I'm going to see Michael next week, and I'm, I'm looking. You know, I've got to see the copy of the book today, and it's it's a great book. I, I mean, where I do have slight issues with, with, with Michael Owen is that Shearer's commitment to Newcastle, you cannot question. I mean, I went to so many of his matches and he was, you know, he was covered in blood. He was giving absolutely everything. He was injured. He was playing. He, you know, he, he offered to, to manage them. You know, this is, a, I went to his testimonial at St. James's Park. They could have sold it out four or five times over. So his commitment to the Geordie cause is, is, is unquestioned. And the other issue I have on a sort of technical issue, having been through these things with a few books, is that you do have slight control over the headlines of your serialization. So you cannot say it didn't reflect what I said in the book because you can, you do have control over that. I mean, I've done five serializations and you do have control over it. So, you know, uh, over the headline. So, but look, the book would do really well. I've started reading it. But the sadness is, is that a lot of people just focus on the scrap between the two. Where there's, I mean, anyone who's interviewed Michael Owen one on one, you know, people say, oh, he's not a great pundit. He is really interesting on the game, the technical aspects of the game, one on one with a keeper. He's one of those rare strikers who has great instinct but can also articulate it. It's very rare but for individuals. Um, of such instinct to be able to, to, to do that. So, look, I think there's another issue here is that he's all, he was always been seen as England's Michael Owen rather than Liverpool's Michael Owen, rather than Newcastle United's own. He's always been seen, you know, it was the international game that made him, San Etienne that made him, even though he had a good season beforehand with, um, with, with, with Liverpool. But the most important thing is that I sent Michael a, you know, a message. Just pick up the phone to Alan. Just ring him. Just call a truce. It, you know, two of England's great strikers shouldn't be scrapping like this in public. Well, many have suggested Owen's thoughts on his time at Newcastle are disrespectful. Gregor, do all former players have to stick to a code? Has he done something wrong? He's not done anything wrong at all, no. But uh, a big part of me doesn't really care about the span <laughs> in the slightest. But I think what's interesting is that it's sort of Michael Owen's someone who's, I don't think this suits him. I don't think, you know, He's, he tried to almost backtrack, saying that you know, as, as Henry alluded to, that the serialisation was ta- things were taken out of context, and and that doesn't stand up. So, and he's obviously not comfortable about about the sort of position he's been put in now uh, from all this. But I think he's had a, he had a really strange career, you know. He, by the age of Jaden Sancho at nineteen, he'd scored forty seven goals for Liverpool and four and thirteen caps for for England. Uh, so you forget you you so long ago and you kind of forget and the, and the downward trajectory his career took after Real Madrid and Newcastle and 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 all of that, um, and and Henry might say his punditry is is incisive but he's not really very well received kind of you know he's someone who's often derided for his uh, basically what I'm saying is that 
retirement is not easy for footballers, and I think that's essentially what this is is kind of highlighting. Mm. It's not easy. It's not been easy for Michael Owen, as he said. He hated the, the latter careers of uh, latter years of his career because of injury and because he couldn't do what he he once could, and um, and he's finding it. He's still finding it hard now. I think he's been, you know, he's he's put, selling out trying to hawk a book that really has got things in it. He probably didn't want to say. Do you think the criticism's been fair, James, on Michael Owen? Um, at the end of the day, we don't we want players to be revealing when they have these autobiographies. Yeah, we do. You're you're right. I think we you know no one wants to read a bland autobiography, <laughs> do they? Um, lots of them. Well, <laughs> I think part of it with Owen is is, is that he's just uh, you know sad as it may be to say he's not he's not that well liked as as Henry alluded to. He he never because obviously of the the way his career played out. He's not someone who there's really a sort of there's a lot of there's there's not one particular club where there's sort of a huge kind of long standing and lasting affection for Owen. He sort of doesn't really have that sort of natural kind of base, if that makes sense. And and I think also a lot of the kind of as you know, his punditry hasn't gone over that well. And and he's obviously he's allied himself with a lot of sort of he he has a lot of sort of, you know, commercial interests that he sort of promotes on his social media that you know maybe come maybe come across as maybe a little bit cynical I don't know obviously players do have to you know make an honest living after they retire I, I just he's someone who hasn't really got great swathes of the public on his side is my kind of sense and and so I guess when you're starting from that position and you're sort of being really, you know, honest and outspoken and no holds barred, it's a little bit different than if you're sort of a real kind of, you know, you're a sort of national treasure and or, or you sort of have a real cult following, neither of which is really true in Owen's case. Um, and he's ultimately taken on Alan Shearer, who's Newcastle supporters, <laughs> greatest living legend and icon. So it was never going to end well for him. Um but like I say, I just don't think it, it really suits him and, and I think probably you'll you'll regret that it's it's come out in this way. Well, we are in an international break, so we thought we'd just uh, focus on some of the clubs in the Premier League who, uh, well, may or may not be enjoying this break. Manchester United, let's talk about them for a little bit. Alexis Sanchez finally has left the club. He's gone on loan, of course, to Inter Milan. He insists he doesn't regret his 19 months at Old Trafford, but... James, it's fair to say he didn't really light up the stage at Old Trafford, did he? No, it was an un, it was an unmitigated failure that transfer. Um, not only on a performance basis, but also very much on a kind of um, expenditure basis as well. Um, he's still costing the club money, even now he's he's out on loan at, at Inter Milan. He may no longer sort of be, you know, a kind of, you know, in the dressing room, but he's obviously still a kind of financial drain on the club. There have been outgoings then. At Old Trafford, it's going to be a rebuilding job, as we've discussed many times, for uh, Manchester United. And, and Henry, how big a job does Ali Gunnar Solskjaer have? And do you think, actually, he'll be given time to make it right there? It's a huge job because it's Manchester United, because of the scrutiny on him, because of the interest from around the world and because of the, uh, the problems that he's inherited. I mean, he's effectively got three managers um, squad additions to deal with from uh, or four from Ferguson he's inherited so many players and it's an imbalanced squad and he needs to address that and I think he deserves credit he's almost working like a sort of sporting director technical director which the club urgently needs you look at the way that he has 
address the problems, centre-half, so Maguire comes in. Right back, Aaron Wambasaka comes in. Um, goals from uh, from out wide. Daniel James was a project, as they call it, for next year, but actually he's settled so quickly and he's probably been their best player along with Wambasaka. So the new signings have addressed issues. He's also, he's been pretty ruthless in culling some of the deadwood in the squad. Is it seven, eight players have gone out? Romelu Lukaku, he's, he's got good money for. So I think he's, he's, he's addressing the issues, but he's going to need two, three transfer windows at the very least to address this. Um, he's still learning as a coach, but there's about a thousand games worth of experience of playing under Alex Ferguson with him, Carrick and Phelan. So they understand the identity of the club and restoring that. I think he's got to be given a chance because otherwise, what are you going to do? You've had two Champions League winning managers in there, in Van Gaal and um, Mourinho. And OK, they won trophies, but they didn't necessarily progress the club and address the, the issues in the squad. So I really hope they give him time. I also really hope they appoint a, a football director, so a director of football to work with him and allow Woodward to go back to what he does brilliantly, which is um, you know, generating money through commercial deals. Well, the fans, Greg, although it seems are despairing as what, at what is going on at Manchester United and just one win in four for them this season. And that win came on the opening day of the season when they beat Chelsea. 4-0. Um, as I say, the fans, well, they're not enjoying what's happening right now at Old Trafford. No. Um, uh, I think it's a little bit different to what's going on at Chelsea and that um, Frank Lampard sort of returned the acknowledgement that they're under a transfer ban and he has to play these young players. It's a sort of similar, you know, there's parallels there. They're both playing academy graduates and, and focusing on signing young players. Um but I think there's a different atmosphere. There's definitely a contrast between the two. I think Chelsea fans are just happy after so much, uh, so many years of kind of seeing a, a block to that pathway for 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 all the talent and young players they have, and winning the FA Youth Cup something like seven in the last ten years, and never seen any of these players. Um, they they they're just delighted to see that now after the disconnect there's been. Um, whereas at Manchester United, I think there is they're they're happy to see this sort of change in ethos and maybe. And and obviously everyone likes to see their their you know academy academy players come through and and represent the team. But it's Manchester United and and they've spent lots of money and it's been spent really badly for so for so so many years. Um, and I just don't I don't know whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is is I don't know whether Manchester United are going to be good enough to stay in in and around the top four. And, and keep the pressure off Solskjaer. And when the pressure begins to build, then that also affects the team and affects the players, and especially when they're young ones. We mentioned uh, Chelsea there. They currently sit in 11th. They've also had just the one win so far in their games. They've been playing well, James, but it seems as though they just can't see out games. Yeah, I think they've been... I think they're doing fine. I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's four games. It, it's such a kind of, you know, it's it's kind of too small a kind of number of games to really sort of make kind of swathing criticisms of, of the way they're going about things. Um, I think Chelsea are, have been fine so far. Um, everyone knows this is a rebuilding season and I think people everyone accepts that. But yeah, the, obviously the, the, the draw against Sheffield United was, was disappointing. Um it's whether you, the the decision to bring on another teenager and give a debut uh, when it when the score was two one mm. um, was a 
wise one or not. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it says it's, it's kind of smacks of arrogance or anything like that, but it's um, it was maybe taking your eyes off the main prize a little bit. Um, but I think as I think I think uh, Alison, who was at the at the game, um, alluded to in her piece. Um, the supporters are almost forgi- almost forgiven for that. We'll forgive Frank Lampard for that at the moment. At the moment, mm. <laughs> well, you're talking about Billy Gilmore, yes. uh, who came on for Tammy Abraham with what six minutes to go uh, in that game. Um, Henry, when Gregor's pointed out that moment in the game that people have been critical of, um, do you do you sort of wonder or question Lampard as a manager when he makes those sorts of decisions? He's young. But what everyone's been calling for at, uh, at Chelsea over the past well, decade almost is, look, it's great the trophy is coming in, but give these fantastic young players who have been developed at the academy over the road, let's, let's give them a chance. So he's trying to do that. I mean, actually, if you look at some of the players who've been underachieving for, for Chelsea this season, it's probably their most experienced. And says Aspilicueta right back. And I think if Lampard's general philosophy is give kids a chance, which he's got to because of the transfer ban. We all understand that. I mean, in a strange way, the real test of Lampard is going to be when they can actually can compete in the transfer market again and whether his philosophy then is actually going to be a pragmatist and bring in a few holding midfielders uh, from Inter Milan or wherever, um, or whether he is going to stay committed to you. My gut feeling is that Frank is very much his own man. He's independently wealthy. He's a confident individual. He has been from, a, from an early age when he was getting barracked by West Ham fans. You know, he's driven himself on to the very heights of his profession as a player. And he wants to do that as a manager and he wants to do it his way. And I think if anyone who's been to Chelsea this season, who's talked to the fans, who's read the fanzines, who's been on the forums, know that the Chelsea fans are absolutely behind him. There's a core of what I would call fans, leaders, and they are all 100% behind Lampard. Some of them have got his number. They text him. He texts them back. The support is absolutely rock solid. And I think the, uh, the owner, Abramovich, um, quite likes the idea of maybe financial fair play, maybe quite likes the idea of uh, the youth being given a chance. And I think if the Chelsea fans, and I think they're echoes of Solskjaer at Manchester United, if they can see their, t- their players giving everything, leaving the sweat on the shirt, you know, uh, um, as Manchester United fans, particularly the way fans saying, just sit, playing with pride, playing with pace, playing with a bit more youth, then I think they'll forgive young managers a shot. But look, since the media world we live in, the social media world that we live in, that we almost want to run these guys out of town before they've got their feet under the table. So I think with Lampard and with Solskjaer, look, I'm biased because I covered their careers and got to sort of know them as individuals as well as professional people. I want to give these people a chance. And then if it doesn't work, let's go back to bringing in a sort of 60-year-old Italian. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there then. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Gearbrand and Henry Winter. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday looking back on England's qualifier with Bulgaria and look ahead to the return of the Premier League. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.